Alright, good evening everyone. Aloha. Bring you greetings from the beautiful, warm, sunny islands of Hawaii. We just came in this, I just came in this morning, had a red-eye flight last night, and I've always heard about Walla Walla ever since I became a Christian, became an Adventist. I heard about this place called Walla Walla. I thought that was a, that was a cool name, Walla Walla. And uh, we're just so glad to be here. We're, we, I apologize that I was not able to come from the beginning of the conference, but we're happy to come uh, for the last few days to share with you. I trust that you've been blessed. Amen. You've been experiencing revival and reformation and restoration in your life. Amen. Praise God. And uh, I just have to say that it's a, it's a high honor. It's a great privilege to stand before you here tonight to share the sacred message of the Lord. Our topic tonight is entitled Thief in the night. And so I hope you brought your Bibles. I hope you brought a notebook. I hope you brought a spiritual appetite. We're going to feast upon the wonderful words of life tonight. It's a very serious and solemn message. We definitely need the Holy Spirit to make it sink in to our hearts and minds tonight. And so I invite you to bow our heads as we begin with the word of prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we want to thank you so much for giving us life today. Not only this physical life, but the abundant life and the promise of eternal life when you return. And Lord, we come before your presence, into your presence tonight, just asking that we would be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That you'd give to us a fresh revelation of Jesus. That you'd help us to see you more clearly. That we might know you more intimately. That we might reflect you to the world more accurately. We ask, Lord, that you'd please speak now. And give us ears to hear your voice. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful privilege. For we ask this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Amen. Our message tonight is entitled, Thief in the Night. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 13, as we begin our study tonight. Romans, chapter 13. I'll be sharing four different presentations this weekend, or the next 24 hours, and every single one of them has been inspired by events that have recently transpired in my, in my life in the last month. And uh, the Lord has given me some, some uh, precious lessons I would like to share with you this weekend. Here's the first one. We go to Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 11. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Make sure you write it down and notice with me. Romans 13, verse 11. If you're there, if you're ready to study, would you please let me know by saying Amen. The Bible says, and that, knowing the time, that now it is a high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. My friends, in this awesome verse, the Apostle Paul is writing. Inspired by the Spirit of God, the Lord is sounding an urgent, solemn, and serious alarm. An alarm that is calculated to 
shake us up and to wake us up, to arouse us from the spiritual sleepiness that many people have fallen into, to recognize the time that we're living in, that right now it is a high time, it is an urgent time, it's a solemn time, a time for us to shake off spiritual sleepiness, to put on the armor of light, which is none other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That armor of light is what's going to prepare us for the salvation flight. Without the armor of light, we're not going to make our salvation flight. How many of you have ever missed an airplane flight before? Have you ever missed one? My wife and I, we travel quite a bit, and so we've missed our fair share of airplane flights. <laughs> I'll never forget the experience we had some time ago. Uh, we took a group of young people to uh, uh, Central America. We were going to do uh, evangelistic meetings. Multiple meetings. We brought a whole bunch of young people, teenagers, high schoolers, who were going to be the speakers for these different evangelistic meetings in the Latin country of El Salvador. Many of them were going to be speaking for the very first time their own evangelistic series. And every single morning, we would worship together. We would have worship, we would pray, we would study. In the afternoons, we spent the time looking over the sermons that we would be preaching in the evening. In the evening, we separated into different sites all over El Salvador to preach the message night after night for two weeks straight. It was an amazing experience. We were able to witness thousands of people getting baptized. Here are some of the pictures of those getting baptized during those meetings. Now, not only were the hearers' lives changed, but the speakers' lives were changed as well. My friends, we can't hold up the light to someone else's path without our path being lit up as well too. Amen? And that's the reason why God calls us to go and to share. Not only for others' sakes, but for our own sakes. And so if you want to grow, you got to go and show people who you know that Jesus is the one that can satisfy the longings of our hearts. Amen? We, God has called us not only to be recipients of the message, but participants in the mission. For the Bible said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so the hearers' lives were changed, but also the speakers' lives. These young people, I want to share with you about two of them. Their names, Daniel and Samuel. Daniel's there in the middle. Samuel's to the left of, uh, on, the, on the other side, left of him. Or that would be the right of him, right? Yeah, that would be the right of him. <laughs> And uh, let me tell you about them. Da Daniel had just come to the Lord a few years before that. He was on fire for the Lord Jesus. He introduced Jesus to his friend Samuel. Samuel was just coming to the Lord, and so he looked up to Daniel as his spiritual mentor. And because they were high school buddies, they shared the same hotel room during our time there in El Salvador. And uh, they preached every single night. It was an amazing beautiful experience. Well, on our last night of our meetings, we all met back at the hotel and everyone was in a good mood. We we're sharing the stories of what happened at our, at our different sites. We were lingering in the moment and rejoicing in the memory of how God had used us and blessed us. It was a wonderful time of fellowship. Well, after that, everyone retired to their respective hotel rooms. It was time to pack and get ready for an early morning flight home the next morning. I went back to my room, I packed up, and before I went to sleep, I made sure to go and check on the two high school prophets, Daniel and Samuel, just like the prophets they were named after. They were being used by the Lord Jesus. And so when I went into their hotel room, it was like I entered a crime scene. It was a disaster. It was the stereotypical room of a teenage, two teenage boys. 
let me try to explain. There was trash on the ground, dirty clothes on the floor, toiletries on the table, towels over the TV, <laughs> laptop computers left out, sermon notes in disarray. There was boxes of food on the nightstand and bags of pupusas on the bed. And in the midst of this mess were these two high school prophets eating, talking story, having a good time, not having a care in the world. I joined them for a few moments, eating good Salvadorian pupusas. And before I left their room, I reminded them of our early morning flight the next morning. I informed them of the time that they were to be on the bus that would head to the airport. I promised them the bus would not wait for them if they were late. I then instructed them to make sure that they packed and they cleaned before they went to sleep. And I warned them that if they did not pack and clean before they slept, that they would not be ready the next morning. But then Daniel, he assured me, don't worry, we'll be ready. The next morning, we get on the bus, I do roll call, and guess who's missing? The two high school prophets. So I went to their hotel room, I knocked on the door, and they opened the door, and to my surprise, their hotel room was in the exact same condition as it was the night before. And worst of all, just like the foolish virgins, Daniel and Samuel were fast asleep. They woke up in panic mode, frantically trying to shove all of their belongings into their suitcases. They had no time to go to the bathroom, no time to change their clothes, no time to even wipe the crust from their eyes. The time of departure had come, and they found themselves unready. Daniel, amazingly, was able to gather all of his stuff, shove it into his luggage, in five minutes. And he exits the hotel room, still in his pajamas, crushed all around his eyes, heading to the bus, and laughing at Samuel along the way. But for Samuel, it was too late. He had too much stuff spread all over the room. Samuel missed the bus. And guess who else missed the bus? Because I was the leader and he was the minor. I missed the bus too. <laughs> I stayed back to help Samuel clean. Now, I wish I could say that I stayed back just because I love Samuel and I wanted to help him out. But there's another reason. I knew that if I was to leave him, his Salvadorian mom would get mad at me. So I was also trying to avoid the wrath of, the, of his Sal Salvadorian mom. <laughs> I asked Samuel, why didn't you get ready last night like I told you? And you know what he said? Just like how Adam blamed Eve, Samuel blamed Daniel. <laughs> Daniel told me last night, I tried to, I started packing last night, but Daniel said, hey, don't, don't worry about it. Let's just hang out. We'll go to sleep tonight and we'll wake up early. We'll have devotions. We'll pray. We'll go eat breakfast. Then we'll pack and we'll clean and we'll be the first ones on the bus. Samuel said, that's what he told me, and I believed him. He said, it wouldn't take long. And then I said, and he made the bus, and you missed it. You were listening to the wrong spiritual mentor, I told him. I felt bad leaving that hotel room because we didn't have any time to clean. It was a disaster when we left it. But we could not let the trash hold us back. 
We had to leave those things behind and, and move forward because we had a flight to catch. We needed to go home. So we caught a taxi, and by God's grace, we made it to the airport to meet up with the rest of our team. Sammy rode on that plane the whole way dressed in his pajamas. <laughs> um, I'll never let Sammy <coughs> forget the lesson. He almost didn't make it home. Why? For the same reasons many people will not make it to their heavenly home. Number one, he was listening to the wrong spiritual mentor. Number two, he had too much stuff that held him back. And number three, he was sleeping when he should have been preparing. The time of the departure had come, and he was not ready. When he should have been wide awake, he was fast asleep. My friends, beloved, don't let what happened to Sammy happen to you. The Apostle Paul in this passage tells us that now it is a high time to wake up. The time of our departure is at hand. It's nearer than when we first believed. Now is the time to put on the armor of light. Because that's what's going to help us make our salvation flight. Not only that, but the armor of light, which is the righteousness of Christ, will enable us to win the spiritual fight in the last days. Because you see, not only is our time of departure almost here, but before that, there's a time of destruction that's coming. This time of peril was prophesied by the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I invite you to take your Bible and let's go there now. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says this, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5 and verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a what? As a thief in the night. Now many people have read this and they have thought that that meant a secret rapture. The Lord will come as a thief of the night secretly and silently and rapture his church. People will vanish into thin air. But notice, friends, that this verse does not say that the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. What does it say? Is coming as a thief of the night. It says the day of the Lord. It's, it's not referring to how Jesus is returning, but rather when he comes, the day of his coming will be like a thief in the night. And friends, have you ever had a thief come in the night to steal from you? Have you ever been the thief that came in the night? Unfortunately, I've been on both sides of that equation, but praise God for his mercy. You see, when a thief comes in the night, he doesn't always come secretly and silently. Sometimes they make a lot of noise. But when a thief comes in the night, they do come suddenly and unexpectedly. And that's the point of the passage. During this time, people will be caught off guard. Many people who have fallen asleep spiritually will be overwhelmed when the Lord Jesus returns. And I want you to notice what the multitudes will be saying during this time. Notice verse 3. It says... For when they shall say, what are the next three words? Peace and safety. 
Then what kind of destruction? Sudden destruction comes upon them. As travail upon a woman with child. And they shall not escape. Here the Bible tells us. That in the last days destruction will come suddenly. Like a thief in the night. It's likened unto labor contractions. Now I know it's obvious but I'm a man. And my wife and I, we don't have any children, so I don't have any personal experience with labor contractions. But I see some mothers here. Mothers, you have, you know what labor contractions are, right? What what is the characteristic of labor contractions? They begin few, uh, they begin uh, mild, few, and far apart. But the closer the time of deliverance comes, those contractions begin to change in intensity and frequency. You see, ever since the beginning of time, when sin entered into this world, we've experienced the terrible results of sin, which is destruction. But when we see destruction increasing like labor contractions in intensity and frequency, we can know that the time of our deliverance is almost here. The Bible says sudden destruction will come. And it will swell up into an overwhelming crisis. And during this time... People, the world will be saying, peace and safety. They're going to be crying out for peace and safety. And friends, today our world is crying out for those two things now more than ever before. As senseless school shootings become more and more frequent across America, many are calling for stricter gun laws or the removal of the Second Amendment altogether. People are crying out for peace and safety. But the Bible says that sudden destruction will still come. Why? Because listen, there is no man-made law that can change the hearts of a society that condemns violence on one hand and yet at the other hand is entertained by it in the media and in the movies and in video games. We're fighting The wrong enemy, friends. What we really need is to behold the Lamb of God that can take away the sin of the world from our hearts. To behold a God that can change the murderous heart of us all. For it is by beholding that we become changed. Now most have never gone on a satanic shooting spree. But you know what the reality is, friends? Is that every single one of us stand guilty For murdering the Son of God. We were the ones that drove those nails through His hands and feet. But if we choose, in exchange for our hammer and nails, the Lord will give us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as our primary weapon of protection. And only then will we find peace and safety. As crime and terrorism continues to strike fear into people's hearts all around us. Many people are calling for immigration reform and border control and a revamp in national security. Crying out for peace and safety. But the Bible says that destruction will come suddenly still. Why? Because listen, there is no man-made wall that's high enough to keep the true enemy out. The true enemy can walk right through walls. But the reality is, Satan is not really 
the greatest enemy. Satan is a defeated enemy. Amen? The greatest enemy we face is the one we look at every single morning in the mirror. Self. And there is no man-made wall that can keep out that enemy. What we really need, friends, is a God that desires to surround us all within a wall of love and liberty. For in the heavenly country of the Lord, all nations have a clear path to citizenship. Amen? It is through Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. And so long as we're willing to learn the language of heaven, which is the language of love, he will grant us an unrestricted passport into that city, into that country, into that kingdom. And only then will we find peace and safety. As natural disasters continue to increase in intensity and frequency, ripping apart countries and economies in moments, Many people are calling for energy reform to reduce global warming and climate change, which they point to as the cause for this wicked weather. People are crying out for peace and safety, but then sudden destruction will still come. Why? Because there is no man-made solution to the man-made pollution that will save this world that has been terminally infected with the cancer of sin. But thank God. The Lord promises that soon and very soon he will create a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, a place where the meek shall inherit the earth. And when that happens, it's then that we will experience true peace and true safety. You see, my brothers and my sisters, man's plans for peace are temporal at best, futile at worst. What we really need is to get ready for the one that's soon to come in the clouds to rescue us from this crazy world. We need to continue to do what we can do to heal the world and make it a better place. Let's do what we can to relieve the sufferings of humanity in this present life. Let's do what we can to stand up against injustice in all of its satanic forms. Let us do what we can to ensure the safety of our children. But let us also remember, friends, that our world is broken beyond repair. And there is no president, politician, professor, pastor, pope, policy or program that can fix the problems of our world this world is beyond the tipping point the only lasting solution is evacuation it's evacuation time now friends don't misunderstand yes we need to occupy till he comes that's what jesus said And so go ahead and plan as though you're going to be here for another 30 years. But here's the point. Live your life every single day as if this day is your final day on earth. Because time is short and life is so fragile and Jesus is coming soon. The day of his coming like a thief in the night. Suddenly, unexpectedly for those who are spiritually sleeping. Now someone pointed out. When they shall say peace and safety together, then sudden destruction. Somebody somebody had pointed out that in a general sense, peace is what the church offers. Safety is what the state offers. So when they shall say peace and safety together, really it's a call for the union, the unity of church and state. And when that happens, destruction will come suddenly. And friends, we see this happening today faster than ever 
Before this prophecy is being fulfilled, destruction will come suddenly, the final movements will be rapid one, and tragically, many people are being swept away by a wave of dark, demonic delusions, and the darker it gets in the last days, the brighter God is calling His people to shine for Him. Notice what it says in verse 4. Verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of what? The children of what? Light. And the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us do what? Watch and be sober. My friends, during this time of an emergency, God is appealing to us, pleading with us to stay awake. As sons of the light... And daughters of the day, it is so important for us to watch and pray. Many times we hit the spiritual snooze button. We see the signs of the times, we hear the alarms, and we wake up momentarily when a crisis comes, only to hit the spiritual snooze button because we want to sleep a little bit longer. My friends, now is the time for us to wake up, to wake up. And if you feel sleepy tonight physically, you know what you need to do? Shake yourself, amen. And if you see someone next to you nodding, just go ahead and give them a sanctified nudge. Now's the time to wake up, friends, because trouble and destruction comes when we least expect it. Just a few weeks ago, January 13th, 2018, was an, another easy Saturday morning in paradise. Beachgoers were going to their favorite spots. Sabbath keepers were preparing to go to church. It was business as usual. Just another beautiful day in Hawaii. But then at 8.06 a.m., the inhabitants of Hawaii received a great blessing in disguise. A blessing in the form of 14 attention-gripping words sent to every smartphone and maybe even every dumb phone in Hawaii. And here's what that text message said. Some, many of you saw this on the news. Here's what everyone in Hawaii received. 8.06, Saturday morning, January 13th. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. And then the last five words were especially gripping. This is not a drill. How many of you saw that on the news? You saw that? <laughs> were you praying for people in Hawaii? Now, I was in Japan at the moment, so I wasn't too worried about it. <laughs> I'm just playing, I'm just playing. But one of the, one of the greatest fears of Hawaii was, seemed to be coming a reality. It seemed like Pearl Harbor was being repeated again. You know what happened? Many people slept right through it. They would have surely died. <laughs> but many people went into panic mode, seeking for shelter in buildings, in garages, <clears throat> even in the sewers, in panic mode. Now, they were trying to hide, but how do you hide when you live on an island from a ballistic missile that has nuclear power? <laughs> you can't really hide from that. Thankfully, we know that it was a false alarm. But friends, you know that this false alarm was a blessing in disguise? Many people were mad and upset, but those who are mad are not thinking clearly. It was a blessing. Why? Because it was a false alarm. It wasn't a 
real alarm. So those who are mad that it was a false alarm, they're not thinking clearly. <laughs> Thank God it was a false alarm and not a real one. <laughs> but another reason, <clears throat> excuse me, another reason why it was a blessing is because this false alarm caused many people to reflect upon the fragility of life and their preparation to die. And I say, thank God that people were given that warning, that opportunity. For I think it was over 30 minutes, not sure if when the bomb would drop, not sure if it was true or not. The Holy Spirit had that time to really impress upon people's hearts. Are you ready? Are you ready to die? The Bible tells us that destruction comes suddenly. It was a normal day when the rain fell during the days of Noah. Just a normal day. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage. They were doing all the things that they were accustomed to doing. And all of a sudden, the rain began to fall. Destruction comes suddenly. and So too for the last days. And because of that, friends, here's the point. We need to live not with a sense of doom and gloom. We need to live with a sense of urgency and hopeful expectancy. And we need to be ready always. Amen? Just a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we had an incredible day in Hawaii. An amazing day. Let me tell you about this day that we had. We had just reunited with a, a friend that we hadn't seen in probably over 10 years. He, he just got married and brought his new wife to honeymoon in Hawaii. Good place to go on honeymoon. And on their last day, we picked them up and we wanted to uh, take them from their Waikiki Hotel. We wanted to rescue them from the fake tourist trap that they were stuck in there. That's not the true Hawaii. We wanted to show them the real Hawaii. So we picked them up on their last day there or the second to the last day there. And we wanted to show them the beauty of our island home. And so we started the day in the morning with a at a spectacular sea cliff overlooking breaching whales in the deep blue sea. It was fantastic. I sent my drone out, took pictures. It was awesome. After that, we took them to this beautiful white sandy beach cove to swim with the friendly turtles in the water. Nice, clear, warm waters of Hawaii. We took some amazing pictures there. And uh, after that, we stopped by at what is called the House of Pure Aloha. It's a shave ice place that is, uh, that uses natural ingredients, organic, natural fruit. They use fruits for their shave ice. It's, it's amazing. We stopped by and enjoyed that. And then we ended the day, towards the end of the day, we went on a spectacular uh, a sunset hike. And the, this hike was just incredible. The sheer cliffs on both sides offered a panoramic, panoramic view of a green island paradise. And at the end of the day, we saw one of the most beautiful sunsets we'd ever seen right there on that beautiful, beautiful mountain. And uh, at night, we ended the, ended the day by eating some awesome, exquisite vegetarian food at a newly discovered Asian restaurant. And the food was great. The fellowship was sweet. The day was so relaxing. The most beautiful sunset, time in nature, time with family. How many of you think that's a good day? Is that a good day? How many of you could use more days like that in your life? Amen. The, new, the newly married couple, they said that that was the best day of their honeymoon. We're so happy for that. Before taking them to the airport the next day, we wanted to show them the other side of the island, where, we're, where we live. And so they slept over our house in our guest room that night, and we all went to bed that night tired and satisfied, looking forward to a good night's rest. Nothing was out of, out of the ordinary. All seemed to be normal. I dozed off to sleep, fully expecting 
to wake up to another beautiful sunny day in Hawaii, just like the day before. We had no idea what was coming. Three o'clock in the morning, I was rudely awakened in the middle of the night with a loud pounding on my door. And then I heard the most terrifying scream. My auntie was saying, fire, fire. The house next to ours was completely engulfed in flames. Here's a picture that our, or a video our neighbor took. Right behind that fire is our house. We got out of the house, went downstairs, and was confronted with this raging inferno. The house next to ours was completely engulfed in flames. It was set on fire by a thief that came in the night. A known arsonist that had been terrorizing our community for the past several months. He had set fires during the day that was always put out by the firemen. But this time, he came in the night when all was sleeping. He used gas accelerant. And we woke up. And there we were. Confronted with this raging inferno. It was already as high as our two-story home. It began to reach over the walls, and I did my best to protect our home with the little garden hose I had. This was me trying to fight the fire before the firemen came. And that puny garden hose did nothing. It was good enough to water my mango tree, but powerless over this angry conflagration. And about five minutes later, the fire had broken into our windows. And the flames and the smoke was quickly spreading throughout our family home. After what felt like an eternity, the firemen finally arrived to put out the fire. But not until it caused over $700,000 of damage. This was just a few weeks ago. But thank God no one was injured. Thank God we all made it out with five minutes to spare. If we had slept Five minutes longer, perhaps I would not be here to tell you the story. I didn't have any time to gather any possessions. I only had time to wake up my wife, put on a shirt, and get out. And thankfully, we all got out. But I've learned some precious lessons from this fire. I'll share some of them tomorrow, but here are some of them tonight. Some very precious lessons. Number one, we need to live every single day to the fullest live our lives to the fullest every single number two we need to live every single day as if it's our last day number three we need to be ready always to meet death in peace and number four destruction comes when you least expect it before we went to sleep it was a normal beautiful hawaiian day there was a it was a time of great peace and safety but then sudden destruction came like a thief in the night, suddenly, fiercely, and rapidly, when we least expected it. Friends, it's the same way with the last days. Just like my house, so too this world is soon going to be on fire. Soon this whole world is going to burn up. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, The heavens shall pass away with a great noise. 
and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Soon this whole world is going to be on fire. All the base elements of the world will melt into eternal oblivion. It shall come suddenly when we least expect it. That's the reason why, friends, every single moment we must place our lives in the hands of Jesus. Every single moment we must be clothed and covered with the, with the armor of light, the righteousness of Christ. Because the devil is walking about like a roaring lion, a roaring fire, seeking whom he may devour. And if he can get you before you choose Christ, he's got you for eternity. <clears throat> I want to read from the book, Great Controversy, 491. Silently, unnoticed, as the midnight thief, will come the decisive hour which marks... The fixing of every man's destiny. The final withdrawal of mercies offered to guilty men. Watch ye therefore, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Perilous is the condition of those who, grow, growing weary of their watch, turn to the attractions of the world. While the man of business is absorbed in the pursuit of gain, while the pleasure lover is seeking indulgence, while the daughter of fashion is arranging her dormants, it may be that it, it may be in that hour that the judge of all the earth will pronounce the sentence, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. My friends, time is almost finished. We just you see, just as I only had a few moments to escape the fiery destruction of our home, so too we only have a little time left to prepare for the final destruction of the world. Friends, we don't have time to be storing up our treasures in a world that's, in a world that's bound for destruction. We don't have time to be chasing the empty pleasures of sin. We don't have time to continue to hold on to our pride refuse to humble ourselves before the Lord. Now is evacuation time. Now is the time to wake up, gather our family, and put on the robe. Now is the time to seek the Lord with all our hearts, to pray like we've never prayed before, to gather our loved ones at the altar of sacrifice. Now is the time to put aside our pride and apologize to those whom we have wronged. Now is the time to give our hearts to the only one that can save us when this whole world is on fire. Oh, my loving brother, when this world is on fire, don't you want God's bosom to be your pillow? But friends, we should not do it because we're afraid of the fire. Because we can't be saved because we're afraid of being lost. We can't go to heaven because we're trying to avoid hell. It is the love of Christ that compels us. And that love is sent not only in messages of compassion, but also messages of warning. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. God loves us enough to send a startling message to wake us from spiritual slumber. In the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation depicts the destruction of this world in graphic detail. It describes the seven last plagues and how they will be poured out upon the earth. It will be a time of bloody waters. Boils and blisters and darkness and destruction. And one of those painful plagues is the brutal battle of Armageddon. Now, we don't have the time to, to explain that in detail. But it's, it's the time that the unholy counterfeit trinity will come together in an ecumenical unity. 
The battle of Armageddon tells us that the, the, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet are going to come together. The dragon is spiritualism. The beast, Catholicism. The false prophet, apostate Protestantism. These are the false religions of the world uniting together in an ecumenical unity. That was prophesied and we see it happening before our very eyes. But then the Bible tells us that then when they unite together, they're going to go to the kings of the earth, the political powers. They need military muscle to enforce their agenda upon the consciences of the world. But once they go to the kings of the earth, it's then that they go to the whole world. And the whole world will be gathered together to fight in this spiritual battle, the battle of Armageddon. The whole world will unite, friends, in a universal cry for peace and safety. A cry that will inevitably lead to the passing of a national Sunday law. And a revival of religious intolerance in the last days. This is the climax of the great controversy between good and evil. It's the final showdown between light and darkness. Truth and error. Righteousness and wickedness. And as this battle reaches its climax. All of a sudden Jesus interjects an important word of warning and encouragement. I want you to notice this verse seems to be out of place. Let's talk about the seven last plagues. And in the midst of the sixth plague, the battle of Armageddon, Jesus must say something. And notice what he said. Revelation 16, 15. Jesus says, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that does what? Watches and what? Keeps his garment lest he walk naked and they see his shame. My friends, in this crisis hour. It's important for us to know the identity of the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet. But even more importantly than that, it's important for us to watch, to wake up, and to keep our garments, as Jesus said, because only as we watch and pray will we be able to keep those garments, the righteousness of Christ, and avoid the shame of nakedness. It's the righteousness of Christ, friends, the armor of light that will enable us to win in the battle of Armageddon. And so Jesus is calling us to put on that garment. You see, just as I only had enough time to wake up my wife, and put on a shirt and get out. So too, friends, we only have time to gather our loved ones, put on the robe of righteousness, and get ready to leave this world of sin. It's time for us to wake up and put on the robe, friends. But here's the question. What secures our robe? How many of you want that robe? What secures our robe in the battle of Armageddon? Listen, listen, listen to the most important part. Of the message tonight. That which secures our robe in the midst of the battle of Armageddon is because Jesus gave his robe in his own personal battle of Armageddon. It was a cold, dark night. But it, other than that, it was a normal day. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the crisis hour was about to hit. And yet the disciples were acting like it was business as usual. They had gone to that garden many times before. 
It seemed like a normal day, and they had no idea what was coming. And thus Jesus told his disciples, he said, watch and pray. Indeed, the, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But tragically, instead of watching and praying, what happened to those three disciples? They fell asleep. Here's a picture of a sleeping church in the midst of a stupendous crisis. They were fast asleep. Then suddenly, unexpectedly, Judas came like a thief in the night. And by the way, Judas was a member of another unholy trinity. You see, Judas, this false disciple, had united with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, who had united with the Romans. We see a threefold union here. Judas, the Pharisees, and the Romans, they all came together to arrest Jesus. The Romans represent spiritualism, paganism. The Pharisees, an apostate priesthood, that's the Roman church state system. And Judas, the false disciple, apostate Protestantism, they come together to get Jesus. It was like a microcosm of the battle of Armageddon. The crisis hour had found the disciples sleeping when they should have been awake. But then notice what happened next. Something very interesting. The Bible is interesting. In Mark 14, verse 50 to 52, write it down. It says this. And, and they all forsook him and fled. And there followed, with, followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and, 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 and fled from them how? Naked. Friends, interesting. Here's a young man that was following Jesus. But he wasn't watching and praying. And so when the thief came in the night to apprehend him, Bible says he left his garment and he fled naked. And friends, in that crisis hour, that disciple allowed the thief to steal his garment. Friends, what happened to that young man literally will happen to many people spiritually. Because when this final test comes, and the unholy trinity, the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet come to apprehend the people of God, those who are spiritually speak, sleeping will be robbed of their robe of righteousness. They're going to forsake righteousness in order to save their temporal lives. They will compromise with the crowd in order to secure a superficial peace and safety. And in that day, they will be found shamefully naked when the Lord comes. Friends, without the armor of light, we're not going to win in the battle of Armageddon. We need the armor of light, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But friends, in that crisis hour, when the disciples fled, this young man fled naked, what happened to Jesus? Jesus was watching and praying. Praying with tears of agony for the faith to face the thief in the night. While the church was sleeping, Jesus was wide awake. Friends, I'm so grateful that when we are sleeping, Jesus is still up. Amen. When we're sleeping, God is still at work. While we, in the form of those disciples, were clothed in the filthy garments of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness, you know what happened? Jesus was stripped of his robe. Of true righteousness he gave his rope and he died naked on the cross 
in his own personal battle of Armageddon. Jesus took our nakedness so that we might have his righteousness. How many of you are thankful for Jesus? And so today, friends, as we get ready to close, Jesus is pounding at the door of our hearts. He's trying to wake us up to the urgent hour in which we live. He's pleading with us to get ready for evacuation. And so I I want to encourage you, my friends, use the last few precious moments of your life in this world to do the most important things. Hug your children, kiss your wife, spend time with your family, get rid of all the non-essentials, the things that hold us back and distract us. And most importantly, let God cover you with the fireproof robe of righteousness for his is the only righteousness that will last for time and all eternity. Like the song we sing, our hearts are so prone to wander, so prone to leave the God that we claim to love. Let's give our hearts to Jesus tonight. We need that righteousness, not only for our own sakes, but for the sake of our loved ones. You see, friends, the sooner, just like when I woke up, I woke up my wife and I put on the shirt, the sooner you wake up and put on the robe, the more time you're giving your family members to follow that example. The more time you're giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to bring your loved ones, your your parents, your children, your brothers, your sisters to the experience of salvation. And so do it for yourself. Do it for your loved ones. Do it for your God. Let me close by telling you about the miracle of my Auntie Helen. My Auntie Helen, I have five aunties. My Auntie Helen was known as the black sheep of the family. She was very deep into the New Age philosophies, meditation and astrology and just all kinds of weird things. And I remember, I wasn't born and raised in the church. I grew up not knowing anything about God. And I remember at a young age that she was trying to teach me how to meditate, how to empty my mind and empty my body and just connect with something, (laughs) She was, she's a very peculiar lady, my Auntie Helen, definitely dancing to the beat of her own drum. She was a relativist and a pluralist. She didn't believe in moral absolutes. She would always say, to each his own, what's right for you may not be right for me. What's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. There's no such thing as absolute truth. And, and because she did not see any, uh, the, 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 because she didn't have any moral absolutes, she didn't see that she was a sinner. And because she didn't see that she was a sinner, she did not see her need of a savior. When I became a Christian at 16 years old, she saw the change in my life, but she would warn me about organized religion. She would try to argue against me about about the things I was believing. She said that I was brainwashed, and I would try to debate her and to answer her back, but I saw that, that from what I was saying, nothing would ever change her mind. So what I did was I decided to stop talking and let my life do the preaching. What I decided to do is simply put on the robe and wear it in front of her. I sought to live a life, private and public life, of purity, simplicity, simplicity, humility, and consistency. And so 16 years went by of silent witnessing. You know, sometimes we're talking too much. All I did was prayed for her and wore the robe in front of her. And let me tell you what happened after 16 years. In 2015, 
Matthew Helen came to our Revelation of Hope Bible Prophecy Seminar. She had come to a few of them in the past, but the previous times that she came, she always came drunk and a little high. But this time she came with, the, with a, a, a searching heart and an open mind, and every single night we lifted up the logical evidence as to why we can trust the message of the Bible. But more than that, we lifted up the beauty of Jesus and His great love for humanity. And I'll never forget the night that Auntie Helen came to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I'd never realized how much God loves me. She was moved to the depths of her being by God's love for her as it was demonstrated in a Bible prophecy seminar. Friends, I just have to add that because some people think that Bible prophecy seminars are informational, fear and doom and gloom, and it's not about Jesus. Those who are saying that are misinformed at best, misled at worst. For whenever we give our prophetic message correctly, it magnifies the beauty and grace and love of Jesus like none else. She was moved to the depths of her being at how much God loves her. And as a result, she was never the same again. Here's her during the meetings. You can see in her face the conviction. Her heart was touched. Her life was being changed. She made a decision for baptism. She quit smoking after trying to quit for decades. She would always try to quit, but she'd always go back to it. She didn't have the power over her addictions. But when she found the love of Christ, she found the power. She quit her addiction. She stopped smoking and drinking and now started to attend church every single Sabbath. And shortly after those meetings were finished, she sent me this text message. And I want to read it word for word from her because when I read this text message, it caused my eyes to open up. With a fountain of tears as I saw God was answering my prayer. Here's what Auntie Helen said. I have not drank a drop of alcohol nor smoked since the meetings. God is good. I do crave. I do crave. But. Somebody say but. I do crave. But it's wiped out. When I focus my mind on his greatness. I see the light. She still has those cravings, but it has no power over her. When she places her mind on the greatness of God, she sees the light that has the power to dispel the darkness of her addictions. And just last year, we had the privilege of baptizing Auntie Helen. Amen. Look at her getting baptized. Look at her face. Victory in Jesus. We serve a God that can change hearts and change lives. Not with the fear of the last days, but with the love of Jesus. And when she was baptized, she came out of the water. Tears were flowing. My grandfather was on the beach. That's another beautiful story. Grandpa was the first one, actually, that we had the privilege of baptizing back in the day when we first started doing meetings. Maybe I'll share that story another time. But my grandpa was there and, and he, he embraced my Auntie Helen on the beach. Here's the moment, friends. And grandpa, he, he raised his hands and said, Helen, my daughter, you are now my sister. <laughs> because the blood of Jesus, friends, makes father and daughter, brother and sister in Christ. Amen.
Every time I talk to my Auntie Helen about Jesus, she cries. I told her about what we do, you know, the behind the scenes part and how we have teams, uh, evangelistic teams, and before we actually do the meetings, we go out door to door and whatnot, and we give Bible studies. And she said, you know, I don't know if I can give Bible studies, but I can definitely go door to door and invite people to your meetings. My friends, it took 16 years of praying and silent witnessing wearing the robe in front of my auntie helen and finally she woke up and she decided to wear that robe herself she finally accepted the robe my friends the faster you wake up and put on the robe the more time you're giving your loved ones to do the same and so as we close tonight our friends are going to come and sing a very beautiful song were it not for grace were it not for the grace of god We would have no hope, we would have no peace, we would have no victory, we would be lost for eternity. By the grace of God, tonight we are saying to him, Lord, shake me up, wake me up, and dress me up with the armor of light, the robe of righteousness. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.